Doing pretty well? Life treating you good? How many people are suffering from the allergies because of the pollen that's out right now? <laughs> and other things on top of that. Anyway. But, uh, but we have to love the springtime, right? Because it's, you know, you know, Easter's coming up, and I just want to remind us all of that. Just a few weeks, Easter will be here, and uh, just a real reminder. You know, I, th I think that Easter takes place the time of the year that it does for a very particular reason, and that is this is like the, the you know, the, the vegetation and, and everything else around us that has been seemingly dead almost, you know, through the wintertime and whatever, coming back to life in a sense and, and all that. But anyway, uh, but Easter will be here, and Easter is still probably the top, the top, rated Sunday of the year that people that are unchurched and etc are willing possibly to come to church that might not be willing to come any other time so got a great time for us to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of that but at the same time it is one of the principal and primary opportunities for us to effectively react reach out to the people around us as much as we can so just want to remind everyone of that We are going to be opening up uh, the book of Acts once again this morning, chapter 21. We've been very much into the travels, uh, missionary travels of the Apostle Paul now for many, many chapters. Most of the book, or a lot of the book up to this point, has been consumed in covering all of the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Those uh, have all come to an end at this point. Uh, so anyway, let me read from chapter 21, verses 15 and following. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, uh, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they, were, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews and those who have believed. Uh, they are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear uh, that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under an oath. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. This all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but do, that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment. They should abstain from what, they have, uh, what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And when Paul took the men, uh, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice. 
when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, uh, help. This is a man who is teaching everyone uh, everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this place, for they have previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut, and they were uh, seeking to kill him. Uh, as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in, in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran to them. And when they saw the tribune, and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired uh, who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought uh, into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. We're just going to stop there, okay? So Paul uh, is in Caesarea now. He's uh, been there for a very short period of time. He's just recently completed his third missionary journey. And uh, apparently one of the things that happened was this, is he had been trying desperately to get back to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover, but he had missed it. Didn't make it back in time. So now he is determined to make it to the Feast of Pentecost, which takes place 50 days after the Passover. So he's very anxious to get to Jerusalem to participate in that particular feast. He has quite an entourage with him. It's not only Paul, but it's also Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and of Acts that we're reading now. Timothy, Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Tychicus, Trophimus, uh, and, and some disciples from Caesarea. So that's quite an entourage. It's not just Paul traveling with just a few people. There's quite a, quite a number of people here, and they make their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. They lodge at uh, the home of Nason of Cyprus, and you can imagine that this man must have been someone that had uh, considerable wealth to be able to house so many people, so many visitors at one time, that sort of thing. Probably lived in a rather large home. Uh, he was not someone who was new to the faith. It's quite possibly that at some point he had been a... a, a, just a a convert uh, under the ministry of Paul or Barnabas uh, when they had made their first missionary journey to Cyprus because he was a Cyprian. Maybe there was some connection made there between the three. Who knows? 
that when he came to Jerusalem, he was received gladly by the brothers. We know this, that Paul has been traveling through a predominantly Gentile world and planting churches in that Gentile world. And there were some Jews in some of those churches, but there were lots uh, primarily and principally they were Gentile churches. He makes it to Jerusalem, and the reception is not a good one for the most part. The fledgling church that is there is very receptive to Paul and very welcoming to Paul. James, the brother of Jesus, being one of the chief leaders of the Jerusalem church. We already met him all the way back in Acts chapter 15 when we studied the Council of Jerusalem. Remember that? And remember one of the issues there had been this. Our Gentile believers were required to be circumcised. And the judgment that came out of that was this, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Those are the words of James, the brother of Jesus. Now Paul is reporting back to James. All the things that God has been doing with him and through him in the ministry to the Gentiles we can imagine it must have been taking quite a bit of time for him to basically give this report to the, to the leadership of the church in Jerusalem uh, because he had been used so much to reach so many people. Some of them were Jews, but, uh, but the reality is this is probably far more Gentiles have been reached with the gospel through the ministry of Paul. We've mentioned this before. I would imagine that most of some of us, may, maybe some of us have some Jewish blood in our, in our running through our veins. Maybe we have some relatives that are Jewish people uh, from the past or even in the present. But for the most part, we represent Gentiles, I would imagine, in this congregation. There's a sense in which you and I today are ben being benefited by the ministry of Paul, as we see here pictured in the book of Acts. The gospel going forth to the Gentile world. Paul has been doing ministry ever since. Not all of the apostles have books in the Bible that were written by them. Paul has far more than any of the others in the New Testament that were offered by him. There's a sense in which the ministry of Paul continues to go on in a way that the ministry of most of the other apostles doesn't. And we benefit by it. Paul had a lot of influence on me when I first began to consider the possibility of the reality of Christianity. I had all kinds of arguments against it. He managed to obliterate every one of them. 
He gave me answers to questions I couldn't find anywhere else. What I would say to you is this, is certainly there were people, Lori in particular, that played a role in my conversion. But more from an academic standpoint, the only person that had more influence upon me than Paul was Jesus. And his focus was on the Gentiles. On the other hand, the focus of James and many of the and Peter and the other many of the other apostles was more on the Jews. Now Peter is doing some evangelism amongst the Gentiles, and you understand that's covered in Book of Acts too. Uh, but uh, the church in Jerusalem has grown. First time as mentioned, there were added uh, 3,000 souls in one day. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Many of those who heard the word believed, about 5,000. So we know the church in Jerusalem has been very active in the presentation of the gospel. At this point, I think it would be safe to say that the, the, the gospel was uh, spreading through the Roman world like a raging fire on many fronts, through many people, and all at the same time. And we understand it was the result of many things, but one of those was certainly the moving of the Holy Spirit and the message spreading through the words of the apostles and the other disciples of Jesus. It's a bold statement to make, but I think it is true, and that is this, and that is that there is no other religion in all of the world religions of history that has had the impact on this fallen world than Christianity has. In other words, the church has truly, to a great extent, been faithful to that great commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. There are people in the world today, however, who still have never heard the name of Jesus. But I would say there's a much smaller percentage of those people today than maybe there ever has been in the history of the world. The church has made Christ known in a very big way to an unknowing world. Paul played one of the most key parts in spurheading that whole movement. The church has always taken seriously the Great Commission, and we continue to do that today. True religion in the days of Paul was going through a very significant and major shift. Before that, it was almost exclusively to the Jewish people. Now it was going forth into the Gentile world as well. The door had been flung open. Today, you would have to say this, that the vast majority, not just a majority, but the vast majority of Christians in the world are not of Jewish heritage. They are Gentiles. And 
And that hasn't pleased everyone. There's been a lot of opposition in every age. Much of the opposition that came early on was from Jewish leadership. Jesus, then the apostles. Charges are brought against Paul. The Jews who are zealous for the law, they've been told about you, that you teach all the the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Can you show me one place in Scripture where we get any indication of anything like that happening at all? It's not there. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. It's a false allegation. We understand this, that Judaism is certainly law-focused. There's no doubt about that. We also understand this, that Christianity is very much law-focused. The big difference between the two is who keeps the law on your behalf. You or Jesus. In both cases, salvation comes only through law-keeping, perfect law-keeping. The truth is, if there's no law, there's no Judaism, but it's also true to say that if there's no law, there's neither any Christianity either. That's a double negative. Both have their basis in the law. Our salvation is earned through law keeping. The difference between Judaism and Christianity, Judaism, you keep the law, and in Christianity, Christ has kept the law for you on your behalf. So this idea that was being propagated that Paul was trying to throw out the law was just not true at all. What he was teaching and preaching was law-based. So this, law, this lie is going, going out, and that is that, uh, about Paul. You know, False allegations that he's doing particular things that he's not really doing. So the brothers, James and the others in Jerusalem, they come up with a a way that Paul can demonstrate to all uh, that question his uh, association and respect for the law of God. Basically, they bring forth, I think it's four guys, And they just tell him to pay the expenses. And by doing that, you'll demonstrate to the Jewish people who are bringing these charges against you falsely that you actually do have a high regard and respect for God's law. That you're not teaching and speaking against God's law.
In 21-25, you would read these words, but as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. Idol worship has often involved animal sacrifices. And very often you're talking about only a small portion of a carcass used in the sacrificial process and then actually being burned on the altar. So what happened to all the rest of it? Typically what happened to it, it wound up in the meat market and people ate it. Which makes a lot of sense. Why waste good meat that people need to be nourished and etc. So one of the big questions the church had to deal with is, is it legitimate for someone to eat meat from the market knowing that some of it was likely sacrificed to an idol? Sounds like a legitimate concern, right? Paul has already written this. By the time he is at this point in his life, he's already written these words in 1 Corinthians some time back. Some who form association with idols eat meat or eat food is, re, uh, uh, is really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no Worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. If food makes my brother stumble, I will eat meat. Uh, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul opens up. The idea here that we need to be sensitive sometimes to where other people are spiritually. Uh, in other words, we don't want to go out of our way to upset anybody. We don't want to, you know, thumb our nose in people's faces because we're doing this, that, or the other. We want to be sensitive because let me tell you, most of the time we're going to have people coming and objecting to the p particular things. They will project themselves as the mature ones, the all-knowing ones that God has sent to straighten the rest of us out. In other words, one of the things that Paul is saying is that one that sometimes the one who believes himself to be the most holy, most caring about the holiness of God, the most pious one who sees himself as the defender of the holiness of God actually isn't. There's a sense in which that person sometimes is actually working against God and God's best interests. Sin is in the church. We have to deal with sin in the church. And we have to always remember 
some things, and one of those is this, is that when we're dealing with sin in the church, we're talking about sinners dealing with sin. And there is no one who has no sin. So our approach to things has to be very cautious and very careful. Let me tell you, when I first became a Christian, I was very self-righteous. Some of you probably think I still am. (laughs) And I am. And let's just be honest. Can we all say this this morning? There's a degree to which I myself am self-righteous. Can you say that? I hope so. If you can't, then you're in a place where most of us aren't. I don't know about you, but sin is still part of my life. It just is. I have to deal with it constantly all the time. And every time I think I'm over something, the next thing I know, it kicks me in the teeth again. Uh, And I hope I'm not by myself. Because if I am, then I'm in deep weeds. Big trouble. Being the sinners that we are, it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking more highly of ourselves than we have any right to. How clearly sometimes we see the sins of other people and at the same time Either are, are either blind to our own sin or we have our little ways of explaining it away. But one of the things you see at work here as Paul is interacting with James uh, in the church in Jerusalem is this, is that the way that we deal with sin, we deal with it together. We all share the responsibility of helping to hold each, uh, each of the others accountable. There's a right way for doing that, and there's a very wrong way. And being the sinners that we are, let me tell you, it's very easy to fall into the trap of going the wrong way, of coming across as being self-righteous. Let me just say this. If you ever help anyone directly deal with their own sin, the, the best approach for you is to go to them, first of all, and, and demonstrate to them the, the gravity of your own sin so they understand that, that, that you're not this holier-than-thou person coming to them and talking with them about their struggle in regard to something that that person doesn't struggle with themselves. We must be very, very careful never to come across as self-righteous. And it's very, very easy for us to do that. So they come up with this plan. The brothers come up with this plan for Paul to do these things to demonstrate to the rest of the Jewish community that he's still committed to 
Judaism. But that was not good enough. The Jews from Asia stirred up the crowd and laid hands on him. That is Paul. Crying out, this is a man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. They charged him with even bringing Greeks into the temple, which Paul evidently had not done. Even though he had Greeks with him, he had not brought them into the temple with him. But the truth is this, is, is these people who are stirring up the, tr the pot, they don't care. They don't care what the truth is. They have an agenda, and their agenda is driving them. These Jewish leaders, they are the ones who claim to be those who care about truth. The reality is this, is they were blinded by their own self-righteousness. In other words, real truth doesn't matter to them. Only the truth they perceive it to be. These men are willing to do anything to shut Paul up. They wish that Paul would just dry up and blow away and be gone. It seems as though they will, there's really nothing that they can possibly come up with they're not willing to do to put an end to all of this. They brought false charges. Everything they bring up, Paul can refute very easily. Have you ever been punished for something you didn't do? I would imagine most people in this room have at one time or another. Maybe by a parent, maybe by someone else. Punished for something you actually didn't do. When I think about that, there was a time, you know, when I was a kid, my brother sat and watched my mother spank me for doing something that he actually did. Now, later on, he admitted it, and he got his spanking. But I got spanked for something he did. Paul's innocent. Paul has not done anything worthy of being treated the way he is. The same thing was true for Jesus. And these religious leaders have the gall to believe that they're driven by a passion for righteousness. When in fact everything they're doing is the exact opposite.
In other words, they believe that the end justified the means. When they come, when they come up with these lies that they propagate, do you think they know that they're lying? Probably they do. But they think a little lie is okay as long as it accomplishes this getting fall out of the center stage. But I want to remind us this morning that righteousness is never served by unrighteous means. Ever. Willing to do anything and everything they could just to shut Paul up. Their actions should not surprise us. Sometimes they do. After all, they treated Jesus in similar fashion. Why would we expect them to treat Paul any differently. What do you think about this statement? Do you think this is a true statement? The closer we walk with Jesus, the more we should expect to be treated unfairly, unjustly by the world. What do you think? That shouldn't surprise us. However, what does surprise us is when injustice surfaces within the church itself, where people are treated unjustly by the church. What about this? If we never suffer injustice in this unjust world, perhaps it is because we're not walking closely enough to Jesus as we would like to think. I think maybe there's a little truth in that statement. We're all afraid of something. May not be the same thing. But everyone in this room has fears in regard to particular things. We cannot let our fears guide us and direct us and hinder us. You ever wonder things like this? Like if I'd been in Paul's shoes, what would I have done? That I've just given up the ghost and gone along with whatever they wanted me to do or, or whatever? You ever wonder about that? You ever wonder about something like this? What if you were a missionary? What if you went on a mission trip? Or maybe you were traveling in Europe and you were taken captive by some terrorist or something like that and 
and whatever, and you're put on the spot under the threat of your life to deny Christ or not, what would you do? The reality, my friends, is every single day, not to the, the extent of that, but every single day in smaller ways, we find ourselves in that position. So what are we to do? I mean, quite honestly, wouldn't it be easier sometimes for you to just give up the ghost or just, just, just go along with what other people are saying or this, that, or the other? Wouldn't it make it life for you a little bit easier maybe, at least for a brief period of time, to go along with your friends or want to do so, you to do something that's not necessarily that moral and that sort of thing? Turn a blind eye maybe to something that's going on that you should probably do something about, but you're not. You don't want to. You're afraid to. I'll tell you one of the things I really honestly am convicted of at this point in my walk with Christ and at my age, and that is this, is the average believer in the average church today has got to learn how to lean and rely upon the Holy Spirit more and more. That third person of the Trinity that we don't talk about so much. He is here. He is in this room. He is in you. He is in me. Jesus seemed to be without fear. Paul, on the other hand, also seems to be without fear of any worldly Threats. Can we say the same sorts of things? Paul is now under arrest and he will be under arrest for years. He will never be a free man again in his life, completely free. At the very minimum, he will be under house arrest until the day that Nero has his head chopped off. It's during those years that some of the most precious epistles of Paul, the prison epistles, for instance, were written. Paul let nothing stand in his way. He continued to minister until he drew his last breath under very difficult circumstances. For years, not just a short period of time. But hallelujah for the Apostle Paul. Because we all know this, that one of the reasons that you and I are here this morning is because of the ministry of Paul. The Apostle to the Gentiles, and I would imagine just about everybody in this room is a Gentile. At least mostly. 
right? We always have to evaluate where we are. It's easy for us to get to be very comfortable where we are. Would you agree to that one? My life is kind of where I want it to be right now. Life is really good. Don't want to stick anything in there that's going to upset the apple cart. But let me tell you, Paul's life is constantly upset by apple carts. Or his apple cart was constantly upset. I don't know about you, but I really wish my own heart was a lot more like Paul's. Because sometimes I don't see much of Paul in me at all. Sometimes my life is about me. The things that concern me the most are the things that affect me directly or indirectly. But what do we gain from this this morning? I'm sure this probably didn't even make a whole lot of sense to you. You can tell my brain's not working very well at this point. And all that. But what are we going to take from this room today and actually use? Anything? You know what we do most of the time? We walk out of the building saying, boy, that was a really good sermon. No, 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 no. But, you know, but, but two days later, we can't even tell someone what it was about. Can you imagine what it would be like going through life without having these things on every Sunday morning, if nothing else, but to be a reminder of where we need to be and what we need to be about? All of us that are getting older, we understand that your memory begins to fade. I mean, it just does, 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 does. And I've forgotten some important things lately. And I just want to say this to you. You may tell me something that's really, really important to you. I may forget it. But please don't ever think I'd do that on purpose. It happens. It just, it happens, it happens, it happens. But the challenge for us guys is just remember, life for us is ministry. Just like with Paul, it's ministry. That's the center point. It's the focal point of everything we do. Your principal function as a husband is ministry. Your principal function as a wife is ministry. As a member of church, it's ministry. As a member of the, 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 the church of Jesus Christ at large, it's ministry. Everything else is secondary. Everything. 